Turn together in the scriptures to Matthew chapter 7. Let's read the whole chapter together, Matthew chapter 7. Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven Give good things to them that ask him. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell. 
and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. I call your attention this evening to verses 13 and 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we come to the end of another year, and as we are about to embark on a new year tomorrow, it is good for us to be reminded, among other things, that the pilgrimage that we are on as Christians, the path that we are traveling on as believers in Jesus Christ, is a straight and narrow way. Our Lord Jesus never promised us that the way of the Christian life would be easy, but in fact, in many places, he has taught us to expect it to be narrow and difficult. In the same book of Matthew, later in chapter 11, our Lord Jesus Christ, when preaching, would say these words, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. In that passage, that call of the gospel, our Lord Jesus calls us to come to him, And he promises to give us rest in our souls. And he promises that when we come to him by faith, and then we follow him by faith, we take his yoke upon us, we take his burden upon us, and it becomes light. The way that is otherwise very difficult and very narrow becomes easier. It becomes bearable. These are great encouragements to us who are weary travelers down the narrow way of the Christian life. The promise of our Lord to us is that when we come to him by faith, when we trust in him, he will make that burden to be lighter. He will make that yoke to be easier. He will make what is unpleasant to our flesh to be a great delight to our souls, namely, to walk down the straight and narrow path of the Christian life. Have you found that to be true in your life? Have you found that when you are trying to live the Christian life while not looking to Jesus, that it becomes sometimes an almost intolerable burden, becomes a terrible, terrible struggle, and the flesh gains the upper hand, and we find ourselves longing for that broad and easy way 
that everybody else is walking on. But when we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we think about his love, when we think about his sacrifice for us, when we see him by faith dying for us on the cross, that suddenly it becomes much easier, much lighter for us to bear the burden as we walk down the path of the Christian life. So I call your attention to the text with those things in mind under the theme, the narrow way of the Christian life. Let's consider, first of all, the meaning of these two ways that our Lord teaches in the text. Secondly, the exhortation. And finally, the end. In this text, in the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord Jesus teaches us to enter in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. In this passage, our Lord is describing two spiritually incompatible ways of life, which are entered into through two spiritually different gates and which lead to two different eternal ends. One leads to the eternal end of destruction and one to the eternal end of life in the kingdom of God. Both of these two ways are spiritual in nature. Both of them lead right through the midst of the world, right through the midst of the home, the workplace, the school, the church, and society. You can be walking on the broad way or the narrow way, either in your public life or in your private life. We mustn't think that the broad way is only out there. The broad way can also be in here, right in the confines and the privacy of our own home, even within the privacy of our own souls. And our Lord teaches us, that we are to walk on the narrow way and not on the broad way. To understand a little bit better what he means by the narrow way, let's first of all consider the broad way and what Jesus means by that. Jesus would have us to imagine in our mind's eye a path, a road, a way that is very broad. It is very spacious so that there is plenty of room for the great crowd of people who are hustling down that road. There is no shortage of space. There is plenty of room for everyone who wants to walk down that road. But Jesus is clearly referring by this road to the road of wickedness, the road of the ungodly, the road of the world. It is the path that is easier for us by nature. By nature, this is the path of least resistance. This is the path that is beautiful and attractive. This is the path that offers to us a good time, a fun time. It is the path that offers to us that we may do whatever we feel like. We may do whatever is right in our own eyes. We may believe whatever we want. We may live however we please. We do not have to fight against the temptations of the devil. This is the way of the carnal man. This is the way that we are all walking down by nature. 
on the broad way, the easy way, the attractive way, the love of money is nothing to be ashamed of, to use one example. Because on the broad way, your money is yours to use as you please. It's not something that God has given to you. You don't have to take into account what the Almighty thinks, what he wants for you to do with your money. But you worked for it. You earned it. It's your money. You may do whatever you want with it and use it however you please. It's the broad way, the easy way. On the broad way, there are many institutions. There are taverns. There are bars. There are clubs. There are parties. And in all of these places, you can drink as much as you want to the sound of your favorite music as loud as you want. You can dance with whomever you want, and you can have a great time all night long into the wee hours of the morning, if that's what you desire. If you don't desire that, there are plenty of other things for you to enjoy on the broad way, if that's not really your thing. There are pleasures innumerable. There are things for the thrill-seekers. There are things for those who are safer in their choice of pleasures. And when it comes to the words that we speak, on the broad way, you don't have to abide by any restrictive rules. You can say whatever you want, whenever you want. If you want to swear like a sailor, if you want to curse and take God's name in vain when you are angry, when you are frustrated, when you are happy and surprised, nobody can tell you not to do that. On the broad way, you can find anything that you desire. If you want fame, if you want glory, if you want popularity, all you do is pursue your dreams. You seek whatever it is that you want in life. You eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you will die, and then it will all be over. You have to make the most of your life. For some people, it's the intellectual things of life that give the most pleasure. And on the broad way, there are many universities throughout the land in which you can get any kind of education and pursue any kind of career that you like. You can learn the wisdom of the world, the philosophies of the age. You can educate yourself in all of the wisdom of Egypt. And on the Broadway, of course, there are seven days in a week to use however you please. There is no commandment about the Sabbath day on the Broadway. That would be too restrictive. To be told that one day of the week you must devote to the worship and service of the Lord, there is no such thing on the Broadway. Sunday is part of the weekend. Sunday is part of those days that you may use for yourself, for your pleasures, for your family, to enjoy. On the Broadway, marriage, of course, is just a human institution, a human invention. Humans invented it. Humans can change it. Humans can undo it if they want. If you simply want to live with your girlfriend or your boyfriend and to enjoy the pleasures of sexual intimacy outside of marriage, well, that's perfectly normal and perfectly acceptable on the broad way. If you decide that you want to get married for whatever reason, that's fine as well. But if you get tired with your spouse and you desire to divorce him or her, well, of course, that's normal and acceptable on the broad way as well. On this way, you can enjoy the pleasures of sex without the fear of the consequences. If there is an unwanted pregnancy, then you simply take a pill and you abort that child and you move on with your life. 
perfectly legitimate, perfectly acceptable. On the Broadway, of course, there are pleasures also to be enjoyed within the privacy of your own home. You don't have to go out there into the world. Of course, there are theaters on the Broadway, and there are dance clubs and all the rest, but you can just turn on your television. And there at your fingertips is all of the enjoyments and pleasures that you could possibly want, an endless array of options of movies and programs and shows to enjoy any time of day. You turn on the internet and there is the world wide web and all kinds of things are at your fingertip. Whatever it is that you might enjoy is there for the taking. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, it's all there. And nobody is going to judge you for your decisions and your choices of what you like. You have your truth and I have my truth. You have your joys and I have my joys. I won't judge you. If you don't judge me, that's the broad way. An easy way. An attractive way. Everyone can do whatever is right in his own eyes. But there's another way. Our Lord also teaches us of a narrow way. He would have us now to imagine in our mind's eye a path that is literally narrow. It is constricted. It is compressed. And because of the narrowness, it is difficult to walk down that way. There's not much space. There's not much wiggle room. It's very restrictive. And it's a path that twists and turns through mountainous and treacherous terrain. Sometimes on one side of the path, there are deep ditches and there are bogs and swamps so that if you slip a little bit, you will fall into those ditches. On the other side, there are steep mountainsides that you cannot climb. On this path, this narrow way, there are enemies hiding behind bushes and trees waiting to leap out and attack you, to rob you, to hurt you. There is constant fears and dangers and difficulties. It's not an attractive way. It's not an easy way. It's not a pleasurable way to the flesh. It's a way that involves self-denial, a way that involves saying no to myself, to my desires, to my lusts. It's a way that involves battle, fighting, struggle, toils. It's a terrible, terrible path to us by nature. But on this road, God is the one to be worshipped. God alone is the one to be worshipped. God is the one to be loved with all of our heart and all of our soul and mind and strength. There are to be no other gods beside him on this road. You cannot serve God and mammon on this road. That's the Broadway. There is Jehovah God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is alone to be loved, worshipped, and glorified as our God. And on this road, you are to do the difficult work of loving your neighbor as yourself. Loving even your enemies who hate you and despise you and despitefully use you and persecute you. But on this treacherous and narrow path, with so many dangers and toils, there are churches to be found. 
And in those churches, weary travelers can go on Sunday and they can spend the Sabbath day there eating and drinking spiritual food for their souls to be refreshed, to find rest and joy and peace and hope for their journey ahead. When they go to church, though, they are called to worship this one true God with all their heart and soul and mind, not to fall asleep, not to be thinking about other things, but to devote themselves to the worship of God, singing from the heart his praises, giving our offerings cheerfully and generously for the poor and the causes of the kingdom and the Christian schools and the support of the ministry of the gospel, joining ourselves with the congregation of saints and dwelling together in peace and love and unity, even with brothers and sisters who make our lives difficult sometimes, even those who gossip and backbite against us, to forgive those who sin against us and to apologize when we sin against them. That's the difficult and the narrow road. We come into the house of prayer and we devote ourselves to prayer on the Lord's Day as a congregation. On the narrow way, there are also Christian schools. On the broad way, of course, there are public schools which are free. You don't have to pay a dime to send your children to those schools. But of course, in those public schools... They are taught the public, ungodly, and wicked way of life and worldview. But on the narrow way, there are Christian schools in which Christian parents sacrifice much of their time and much of their money to establish those schools, to maintain those schools, to pay the teachers in those schools and the principals. There are men on school boards who devote many, many hours to the maintenance and the governance of the schools. And the children who attend those schools learn what it means to walk on the narrow way. On the narrow way, there are also mission outposts in which there are missionaries who have been called and sent by the church to preach Christ crucified to those who are on the Broadway. Because you see, these two ways are really not that far apart from each other, but very close. They run right through the middle of the same world. So that there are mission outposts on this narrow way in which preachers of the gospel proclaim to those on the broad way to repent of their sin, to turn, to come to Jesus Christ and receive rest for their souls as we have received it for ours. And everyone who's trudging along this narrow way seeks to be a witness and to shine as a light to those still walking in the darkness. But it's a difficult way. It's not an easy way. It involves temptations and trials and afflictions and persecutions, the hatred and hostility of the world. And when the world becomes greater and more and more powerful in government, it can even involve official persecution of the church, as it does in many nations even today. The narrow way leads through the midst of the wicked world. But as the followers of Jesus walk down this way, they're striving to please God, to love Him, to love their neighbor, 
They're striving to abound in good works, which involve the denial of themselves to do good to others. They want to love their children and to train them up in the way that they should go. They want to visit the the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. They want to give to the poor, to reach out to the poor in their community. They want to care for the sick and the elderly, to visit them in the hospital, in the manor, the nursing home, in the prison. They want to reach out to lost sinners. They're striving to abound in good works. That's the narrow way. And they have a deep commitment to walk on that way. This is no willy-nilly kind of thing that maybe I'll switch over to that way. No, those who walk down the narrow way are committed to walk down that way all the way to the end. That's the meaning of the two ways. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ is not like so many today who say that every man may simply decide for himself which religion he thinks is best, which way of life he thinks is best. No, our Lord exhorts us, don't enter into the wide gate, but enter into the straight gate. That's the exhortation of our text This is our Lord's great Sermon on the Mount in which he lays down the principles of life in the kingdom. And in this text, he exhorts us travelers to continue entering the straight gate and to continue rejecting the wide gate. Now we need to understand something about those two gates as well. In some ways they are like physical gates. But in other ways, they are not. If there were two physical gates in front of you, a broad one and a narrow one, and you entered into the narrow gate, into the narrow path, then you would no longer face the other gate. You have crossed over the threshold of the one gate into the one way, never to see the other gate again. But that's not the way these two gates are. These two gates are spiritual gates, and they're always before us. Every morning, every day, every moment, as long as we live, these two gates stand before us. The meaning of the text and the two gates is not, maybe as some would teach, that you face these two gates only when you are very young when you are a child, when you are a teenager, so that you have to make a decision either for Christ or for the world. As if once you make a decision for Christ to enter into the straight gate and go down the narrow way, then you never again face the other gate. That's not the way these two gates are. These two gates certainly do face us when we are children. They face us when we are teenagers, but they also face us when we are adults and when we are still, uh, still when we are in old age as well. It's true that when we are young, when we're teenagers, we face those two gates in a very critical way. There are big decisions to be made about college and our career and where we're going to live and what church we're going to be a member of and who we're going to marry. 
and about having children and raising a family. Those are decisions that can affect the course of our life. Nevertheless, these two gates face us all along life's journey. Every morning, even as we're walking down the narrow way, when we wake up, those two gates face us again. And the exhortation of our Lord is, don't enter into the wide gate. Children, young people, brothers and sisters in Christ, old and young, don't enter into the wide gate. The wide gate, of course, is like these great, big, huge doors that are flung wide open before us. Beautiful, attractive, well-decorated, so that they draw your attention. They're very flashy, very beautiful and attractive to our flesh. And there's someone standing in the midst of that open doorway. That individual who stands there is none other than the great red dragon. But he doesn't look like a frightening dragon. He is clothed as an angel of light. And he speaks to us every day from that open, wide gate. Come to me. Come along with me. I'll show you the way that you should go. I'll show you how to have a good time. I'll show you how to use your money. I'll show you what to watch on the television. Just follow me and we'll have a good time. And let's let the good times roll on the Broadway. But we know as Christians by faith, That that great red dragon, no matter how he is clothed, tells lies. He's a liar. In what he promises, he doesn't deliver. He promises happiness, but he gives misery. He promises that if you just do this and this or that, you're going to have the greatest time of your life, but it's all false. It's all a deception. It doesn't come true. And as we're going to see, the end of that broad way is not attractive at all. Nevertheless, he's very inviting, he's very welcoming, he's very alluring, and he calls out to us sweetly, like the sirens that called out to Odysseus in the great novel of Homer from ancient Greece. Some of you know that novel. The the sirens called out to him. They were these monstrous creatures, but they looked like beautiful women with beautiful singing voices and they cried out to Odysseus on his voyage and he was strongly tempted knowing that he would be destroyed, nevertheless still tempted to go to them. That's what stands in the wide open gate that leads to the broad way. And add to that this, that Jesus says there are many going through that gate. As you look there and see those beautiful doors wide open and that beautifully clad angel of light inviting you, you also see crowds of people hustling through that gate. Hundreds, thousands, all around us. And the temptation is to buy into the old argument that if everyone is doing it, then what harm could there possibly be, be, possibly be in it? Everyone's doing it, so it must be okay. Everyone believes it, so it must be true. And to follow the path of the majority. 
But our Lord Jesus Christ teaches us in the text not to buy into that false argument. It's never true that just because everyone seems to be doing it, or just because many are doing it, or even a majority, or even if the whole world is doing it, that that makes it okay. The day is going to come when the whole world, it will seem, will receive the mark of the beast. But receiving the mark of the beast is entering into the wide gate and going down the broad way. And our Lord says, don't enter into that gate. Things are not always as they seem, children, young people, brothers and sisters. Things are not always as they seem. Rather, our Lord exhorts us to enter into the straight gate. The narrow gate. And now he would have us imagine that next to that broad, wide gate, there is a little door. Very little. You almost don't notice it because the wide gate is so large. But there it is. Sure enough, there's a little door. And there's someone standing in that gate as well. And it's Jesus himself. In fact, Jesus teaches us that he is that gate. He is that door. In John 10 verse 9, Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. And then regarding that way that comes after that gate, Jesus says in John 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus also taught in John 3, verses 3 through 5, except a man be born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God, much less enter into it. You see, no one can enter into that straight gate. No one. You can't, I can't, no one can by nature. All we can do is flow with the crowd through the wide gate. And that's true of us every single day of our lives by nature. Every single day we are inclined to go through the wide gate, to take the easy path, to take the path of least resistance, to do what comes naturally to the flesh. No one can come to me, Jesus said, John 6 Verse 44, except the Father which hath sent me draw him. God must draw us into that straight gate and narrow way. If God does not draw us into it, we will never enter into it. But we know from the word of God that whom God did predestinate, them he also called. Whom God did predestinate before time began to be his children, to be conformed to the image of his Son, he also called through the preaching of the gospel, through his word and spirit. He calls them and draws them to that straight gate. He draws them to Jesus himself so that when the elect hear Jesus saying to them, Come unto me. 
all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. By the irresistible grace of God, they are drawn to him, to that little, narrow, constricted doorway that when you first look at it, you think, I can't even fit through that. But he draws us to it, and he brings us through it into the narrow way. And he doesn't only do that, but he also leads us down the narrow way, all the way. And the burden is light for us, and the yoke is easy for us to walk down that narrow way because Jesus, who calls us into it, walked down it himself. He walked down that way, that narrow way. And he did so before you did and before I did. Jesus walked down the way of perfect obedience to God, of loving God with all his heart and soul and mind and strength. He loved his neighbor as himself. He kept all of God's commandments perfectly. He resisted the assaults and temptations of the devil and the world. And he never faltered. He never fell to the left or fell to the right. He was never overcome. He was never overwhelmed. With perfect obedience, he walked down that narrow way, and his narrow way was much narrower than ours. And you know what Jesus found and met at the end of his narrow way? Even though he walked down the narrow way, his way didn't end in life. His way ended in death. At the end of his way was the cross. And he walked all the way to the cross. And he didn't stop short. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was sweating those bloody drops of sweat, feeling the burden, the heavy, heavy burden of God's wrath that we deserve for every time we have even considered going into the Broadway and for every time we have gone into the Broadway. He bore that burden in the garden, but he didn't cast aside that yoke. He went all the way to the cross. Until he was nailed on the cross, he gave up his life for us because he loves us, because he would save us from our sins, he would save the lost. And therefore, through his life and through his death, he has become our righteousness. He has become the way to the Father. And so when he calls out to us, follow me, he's not saying to us that we must walk down that narrow way to merit the reward and the life and the glory of heaven. He's saying, follow me. I merited it for you. And now you follow me. You follow me all the way. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why? Why is it so easy and light? Because when we come to Jesus by faith, we receive his righteousness. Which means, in principle, it's as if we've already walked the whole way. We don't have to walk that way as if it's dependent on us to get to glory. We walk on that way in obedience to Christ 
with delight and joy and love for our Savior. For all that He has done for us. We want to go with Him. We want to follow Him. We want to be with Him. And that's why, although the way is narrow and difficult to our flesh, by faith, looking to Jesus becomes easy and light. Even though we can see with our own eyes that there are few who find it, there are few who are entering through that narrow passageway into that constricted path. Few, very few. Now, on the one hand, Scripture teaches us that the children of God are as many as the stars in the heaven for multitude, as many as the sand upon the seashore innumerable. And yet the Scriptures also teach in texts like this one that at any given point in the history of the world, the people of God are few in the midst of the masses of humanity. And that's a comfort to us. Because that argument is a powerful one to our flesh. Do you think that you who are just a few, a little flock, that you have it right? That you have religion correct? That your Christianity is right and my religion is wrong? But Jesus teaches us that. That's exactly right. There are few who find it. There are few who find it because there are few who look for it. Those who find it are those who are looking for it. You don't find something that you're not looking for. But those who are looking for it are those whom God has elected and whom God has called and drawn by his grace to Jesus. And so our Lord says somewhere else, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Enter into the straight gate and go down the narrow way. These two paths lead to two different ends, and they are eternal ends. The wide gate and the broad path, Jesus says, leads to destruction. It leads to hell. Jesus teaches here and many other places the reality of hell as a place of destruction. We generally think of destruction as something that reduces something to nothing. Or virtually nothing. But hell is a place of eternal destruction. It's a place where someone is destroyed forever. In body and in soul. And those who choose to enter into that wide gate and go down that broad path. The path of least resistance. They will perish. And they will perish forever in hell. And our Lord wants us to know that. Because that serves as a powerful warning and deterrent to us and a comfort. We remember Psalm 73 when Asaph was looking at all the people going down the broad way. He says, my feet almost slipped. I doubted that I was on the right path. Because everybody seemed to be having a good time. Everybody seemed prosperous. Everybody seemed wealthy. But I was suffering. He says, then I went to the temple of God and 
My eyes were opened, and I remembered their end. That God has placed them on slippery places, and he's casting them down to destruction. Don't envy the wicked. Never, never envy the wicked. The end of those whom God calls to Christ to follow him all the way, that end is life. Life everlasting in the kingdom of heaven. You know that story that uh, John Bunyan wrote, I think, The Pilgrim's Progress, where he is walking down the narrow path on his way to the heavenly city. He calls it the celestial city. What a beautiful picture. Jesus holds that out to us as weary pilgrims and strangers in the earth. As we come to the end of a year and the beginning of a new year, and we look forward to the coming years and days of our lives, he would have us fix our eyes on that heavenly city. Not going to be easy to get there, but he would have us to fix our eyes on that city and to continue down the straight and narrow path, encouraging us and promising us that that's where it ends. It ends in life. Life. Life everlasting. He has given us life already now in principle through regeneration. We're alive in Christ. But this will be life in all of its glorious fullness. Not just the little seed that we have right now, but the fullness of joy, the fullness of peace, the fullness of rest as we dwell in fellowship with God in the celestial city where the streets, we are told, will be paved with gold, where there will be no more darkness and no more night, where the gates will not have to be shut at all by day or by night because there will be no danger, there will be no threat, there will be no more assaults, no more persecutions, no more doubts, no more fears. Life. Life with God and life with all of our fellow saints. Life in the body, life in the soul. Immortal life in a body that can never become sick, that can never become weak or weary. Life in the soul of fellowship in the covenant with our God in a life that will never, ever, ever end. This journey, the journey of this life, ends in that life, that life that will never end. This life will come to an end. This year came to an end. Next year will come to an end if the Lord tarries. And eventually the history of this world will come to an end. But that life, that life will never end. And our Lord says, keep your eyes fixed on me. Follow me all the way. Because this way ends in life. May God grant us the grace in this new year to continue, weary pilgrims though we may be, looking up to our Savior, going to him to find rest for our souls, following him all the way. Amen. Our gracious God and Father in heaven, we give thanks to thee for thy word 
as an encouragement to us in the weary travels here below. We thank Thee, Lord, that we have a Savior who knows all of our struggles, all of our sorrows. A Savior who has gone before us, who has trudged the same narrow, weary path and has done it perfectly to the cross. Father, grant us that faith that looks to Christ and finds all of our strength in Him so that we're able to continue down the narrow way fighting the good fight, striving to abound in works of gratitude and the path that leads to and ends in eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.